Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise Podcast. Please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise. White Centipede Noise is a label and mail order based in Germany, releasing top quality noise on tape, CD, and vinyl. White Centipede Noise is also the premier EU-based distributor of international noise. Visit whitecentipedenoise.com to see available label releases and weekly distro updates. Centipede Noise podcast. My name is Oscar Brummel, and today I'm joined by three individuals who make up um, what I like to think of as the three musketeers of harsh noise, of Midwestern harsh noise. Please welcome Stefan Auni, Brad Griggs, and Luke Tandy. I invited them here because um, they're all on their own solo right, uh, really awesome, great artists that I hope to be able to have as guests here on their own sometime soon, but I specifically want to talk about their work together in their various collaboration projects today, specifically Heat Signature, which is Brad and Luke, and Action Discipline, which is Brad and Stefan. So, welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having morning. us. Good thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's great to have you guys here. Great to see you guys all. Um, I'm going to start off just kind of skipping over some of the basic history for m most of you, because I think we know, we know Stefan does Kyostad, does Breaking the Will. Um, Luke does Being, we're going to get into that too a little bit, but um, Brad, can you tell me, you're a bit of a, um, <laughs> like, you're pretty low key mm -hmm. in, I would say, the noise scene. You're behind the scenes. Um, of a lot of really heavy projects um, and your name rings bells, but at the same time, you're kind of um, maybe unknown to a lot of people who, who, um, you know, aren't familiar with your solo work because um, you've put out so little actually. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your background um, as a noise artist? Uh, yeah, sure. I, um, yeah, I started, playing noise shows um, when I was 18 uh, in Columbus and um, just under my own name. Um, and then just kind of kept playing them ever since. And uh, yeah, I don't record a whole lot of solo stuff. I'm one of those people that's never really happy with what they do. And then so so little of it gets released. But, um, uh, but yeah, fortunately, I have a couple of very talented friends that I can uh, kind of like latch on to and get my voice out there that way, I suppose. You have released solo stuff though. I mean, you have a track or 10 minute track or side. I can't remember if it's a uh, separate tracks on one of uh, skeleton dusts, contemporary harsh noise, double cassettes, which is excellent. And I think everyone who's heard it is like, uh, this little taste is, is something that everyone's thirsty for more. And, I've asked you for a release on White Centipede Noise. I imagine I'm not the only one who's asked you. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Since like 2010, I think. Yeah, exactly. What's <laughs> what's what what what's the reason that you don't produce more solo? Oh yeah, just like I said, I'm one of those people that is could like tweak something forever, and um, yeah, just never really satisfied with what I put out. Like I actually recorded like two hours of stuff for you, and then listened to it and was like, ah, never mind. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think like for what it's worth, hard deadlines help me. So like Luke, uh, when I put out or gave him that track for that contemporary harsh noise uh, compilation, he was like, I need the track by this day. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and it probably took me six months to actually put out the release too. too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it took you like six months to even listen to the thing that I sent. Cause I remember, like several months went by and you're like, I'm really sorry, but I finally just listened to that. And uh, you told me you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why you don't, maybe, maybe that was a bad experience. <laughs> no, it was a good experience. Dealing with asshole labels. Skeleton dust is notoriously difficult to work with. <laughs> uh, at least I'm, I'm slow. There, there's that for sure. Yeah. Slower than I've ever been too. Yeah, well, you've got a lot on your plate with the record shop right now. So you're 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 tuning in right now, by the way, from your record shop, Skeleton Dust Records, in Dayton, Ohio. Is that correct? That's great. Yeah. How long has that been open? Um, it's been just over four years. Yeah, it was like four wow. years, like last week, as when we first opened. So. Wow. Time flies. time flies actually. Yeah. So, um, the two products that we're kind of focusing on today, Action Discipline and Heat Signature. Can you guys tell me about the recording processes for both of those, how a release comes together? I mean, I can talk a little bit about both because the weird thing is I'm grandfathered into the first heat signature release um, through this weird through this weird story. So at the time I was living in upstate New York, no, I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. For some reason I was driving cross country, I think from Minnesota to maybe New York. And so Luke had generously offered me to crash this house in Dayton because Dayton's kind of right in the middle of the country. And so we made this plan and then a lot of time went by. And I think, you know, maybe I didn't check in before. So I was in the car getting close to Dayton. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm almost here. And Luke had forgotten I was coming and he'd scheduled heat signature rehearsal with Brad. And it was the first heat signature rehearsal, correct? I actually remember it a little bit differently. I think that um, you were... Uh driving cross, cross country, like you said. And uh, I think that you were going to stop at my apartment in Columbus to record Action oh, Discipline. Really? Uh, but then like I got the dates mixed up and you told me that you were like an hour out or something like that. And I was like, oh man, I'm in the car, like getting ready to go to the first like heat signature <laughs> recording session. And I think you rerouted, but maybe maybe I'm wrong or maybe... maybe yeah, it was a long time ago. Regardless, so I show up at Luke's house and you guys are about to rehearse. So it's like, well, I'll just jump on the rehearsal. Perfect timing. And so we recorded the three of us. Mm -hmm. And then we had this, I don't know, maybe an hour's worth of material. And there was a discussion over what to do with it. And those guys were like, well, let's just call it Heat Signature. So I mixed it up and released it on New Forces. So you um, mixed it? Yeah. The first, the first. Well, I didn't, I, would, I didn't mix it. I culled it down from the bigger chunk of recording that we had okay. and did it on new forces. So that's the first heat nature shape. And then of course, since then, heat signature has gone off on its own tangent. Did you have your own, um, did you have your own gear when you showed up there or did you? Did you have yeah. For some reason I had gear. I don't know if I'd played a show in Minnesota or why I, I just like had 
a trunk full of pedals. So I just showed up in Luke's basement and plugged in and we rehearsed or we just played recorded for a while. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grandfathered into heat signature. Okay. But now heat signature is pretty strictly Brad and Luke and it has a, you know, pretty distinct sound. Um, I, I hear, I hear similarities between that and action discipline for sure, but, but they definitely have their own personality. So, so what action discipline now, what does that entail? Like a recording, what, what goes into a release first of all of action discipline? I mean, action discipline has been, I don't know, dead or on hiatus for how many years, Brad? Like, yeah, probably. I think the last thing that we did together was the, um, amplified humans fest. Right. So when I lived in Michigan and Brad was still living in Columbus, we were in close enough proximity that we could count on seeing each other after a couple of years. But I live in New York City now. I was living in upstate New York. So that's been kind of on the back burner. But initially, I mean, the genesis of that is Brad and I did a live collaboration at one of the summer scum fests in Buffalo, just as Breaking the Will and Brad Griggs. It was really fun. I mean, at that point, I toured with Brad Griggs a couple of times already. I was I was friends with Brad. I liked Brad's noise. So we're like, well, maybe we should just formalize this as a collaboration. And so that was the genesis of it. So the first tape was on New Forces. And I think perhaps in contrast to Heat Signature now, which is more well-established, I mean, every, bra- every action discipline recording is different. It's like a mix of live collabs, mail order stuff, it was kind of fly by night because we were always living in different places. Um, mm-hmm. And so each, each recording is probably a little bit different in how it came together. But a lot of them come from like live sessions. We, we would do live recording sessions. And then there's also a fair bit of mail collabing going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when it came to live sessions, um, was there like, was it like a stereo recording of everything going on to the mixer? Or was there any multi-tracking or any, uh, editing post-production, uh, work that was happening? Or was it kind of like taking a, a chunk of a session and, uh, and having that be the, the material? I mean, for most of them, there wouldn't be multi-tracking. It would be taking a, a studio session and then chopping it up, finding the good bits, layering them together. But layering them. Layer, yeah, there would be some layering. Yeah. Okay. So it, it would be a mix of live and, and, and sort of mixing, mastering, tweaking things, but mostly live sessions. When we were doing mail collab stuff, that would involve a little bit more tinkering to get things uh, to get things set up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Luke, can you tell me a bit about um, Heat Signature and how those recordings uh, come about? You've been, you guys have been pretty active in the past few years. Yeah. And it seems to be something you guys have been you know, steadily working on. So how does that, how does that usually um, that come about? Well, whenever we haven't done a live set in some time, um, I guess it's been probably about a year and a half, but you know, we would record all of our live sets and oftentimes those would end up in releases uh, using those as like source or parts of releases. Um, but most of the time, yeah, Brad will just come over to my house and record a bunch of noise in my basement. And that turns out to be heat signature <laughs> a lot of the time. I mean, it's okay. we record hours of material and it seems like a lot of time those, we all have recording sessions that will be like maybe, I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours of material. And we, we always joke around cause it seems like we get about 
10 minutes out of an hour and a half of material a lot of the times that we use for releases. Really? Um, I, we usually just edit the shit out of our recordings, I guess, a lot. And, um, and then that's all those concentrated bits become like the releases. So, yeah. Okay. And with that, are you still editing heavily on tape loop just out of curiosity or are you more on computer? Yeah, we do. I mean, I'm, I think Brad does the same too for the most part, but I do all my editing on the computer now. So everything is still recorded to tape. Um, and, but then all the actual editing is, uh, done on a computer. Um, so the, like kind of part of the mastering process for heat signature though, is like we, we run the recordings through what I call the mulcher, which is just a mm-hmm. tape deck basically where, um, you know, we have the recordings and then kind of record them onto a tape deck and then rip that recording on the computer and then pl- record that back to a tape deck and kind of do that back and forth to get like the sort of like rough fidelity that we like to get on the recordings. So, so that's, that's something really specific about heat signature is that really, really, really like saturated blown out sound. It's almost like the mother savage sound, but like perfected. It's sort of like, it's sort of like the mother savage sound, um, but still done by someone with like audio engineering skills or something like that. Like hmm. it's, it's very, it's like on steroids or something like that. So that, is that something you're responsible for Luke? Um, I mean, that kind of finishing mastering sound that these, t- that these recordings have. Um, it's both of us really, because, um, yeah, like sometimes, I don't know, there's a lot of like passing back and forth between Brad and I with the recording. So like, I'll say I'll edit a session and then um, I'll send it to him to review. A lot of times he'll edit, make edits, and then sort of send me back his version of it. But it sounds different than the version that I had sent him originally because the tape deck he's using to record onto has a different fidelity. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. it's like a lot of time it's a combination of the two, but ultimately we do try to like, you know, get all the tracks sort of like sounding the same for a release, like the, especially the last two CDs, I feel like, or we really made an attempt to like master the tracks so that they all had like a continuous flow and fidelity. Right. Um, so I, yeah. I feel like a lot of times the uh, the very last steps are the, the mulching that I'm doing with my tape decks or tape deck. And sure. So, and Luke, you have a you have a background or some sort of training, I believe you told me once, um, in audio engineering or audio production. Is that true? Yeah, I went to college for like audio production, but the focus was like on um, film and TV, so uh, like post production stuff. And but my main interest was like on set recording. Um, so. And, okay. you know, to be honest, I don't know how much of that is translated into what I'm doing with noise. Uh, you know, okay. it's, it seemed very like a whirlwind experience to me in college, like learning that stuff. And it's been such a long time. And I'm pretty sure that yeah. everything I was using, all the equipment and software I was using in college is like extremely outdated right now. So it maybe helped or contributed a little bit, but I can't really say how much otherwise. This episode of White Centipede Noise Podcast is brought to you by Flag Day Recordings. 
Established in 2017, Flag Day Recordings is a tape and CD label based out of Pennsylvania, focused on promoting harsh noise, avant-garde, musique concrète, electroacoustic, and ambient styles. Recent CDs include Mariam Sirvan, Peter J. Woods, and Tourette. Flagdayrecordings.bigcartel.com Stefan and Luke, you guys are both obviously like established um, solo artists doing releasing pretty regularly. Luke, you not as much these days with being, but um, I kind of feel like somehow, tr- nonetheless, that Brad is like the secret ingredient to these projects. Oh. I like to think of it that way, at least. Is that true? What, what, what does Brad bring to both of these projects? Can you guys tell me about that? I mean, he, he has an unmatched live energy and, uh, I mean, like he's a pleasure to play live with. He elevates everyone he plays live with. I'm sure Luke agrees. I feel like I can plug in a bunch of gear next to Brad and just pretend to play and it would still sound fucking awesome because, and so I think a lot of with action discipline is trying to like take Brad's live genius and get it on tape. Sure. Um, that's kind of how I thought about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know Brad personally, he's kind of an obsessive person uh, in general. Um, but like, especially with noise, it's obvious. Like he is a, like a noise ultra fan. I mean, I think there are different levels of people who are, have an interest in noise, but like, um, I, I just think that fandom kind of comes out in what he does with his own noise. So, um, attention to like sonic detail is a, apparent, I think. I wanted to ask you, Brad, too, cause I know I've heard that too, that you're really a, a deep fan of the deep stuff. And I'm going to ask you guys later, like, I'm gonna ask for your top five noise releases of all time, but I specifically want to ask you, Brad, what's, what are the what are some releases that have really, really influenced your sound? Like that, that you, that you use as kind of, I mean, maybe, maybe you don't, I don't want to assume that you use other noise as reference, but, but can you give me a few like releases that are really like your, your deep top picks for quality that, that kind of inspire you? Uh, yeah, I guess like, um, as I think you mentioned earlier, like with the heat signature recordings, like I'm really into the like Mother Savage sound um, where like maybe that doesn't mean something to everybody, but those who know, uh, know what that know what that means. You know, like those releases had a very distinct sound where it's it's like really blown out and muddy and um, I don't know, just like really gets into your ear like that. Um, and so, yeah, basically all the releases on that label. I would, at least that I've heard, um, I think have been really influential to me, but especially uh, the Texas Chainsaw Dope Fiend. Uh, I think that that recording is just the best, which is like a edited collection of some of the Gildan stuff that one or both of members of Macronympha edited together. And um, uh, it's just so like unhinged, you know, uh, where it can like move from like dense like muddy like wall of sounds and then like stop to um you know like what's obviously like a room recording of like some guy like you know beating up some sheet metal and screaming um yeah i just really like that dynamic that you hear in that release and then also in macronympha 
uh, where it's kind of like just the most primitive, like sort of like bonehead noise uh, that's then taken and then made into like perfectly edited and mastered like fine art, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like that. And then um been listening to like dog liver oil. You know, you ever hear them? Yeah, and um, the prick, prick decay, uh, mud sounds for car stereos. Yeah, just like that totally blown out tape saturation sound and from uh, unhinged minds. That's what I like. Have you have you had a chance to connect or talk with any of the artists that were, you know, any of the artists from that time or any of the artists that highly inspire you from that time? Like, are you in touch with... Romer or Stella or any of those guys? Yeah, I think the only person I've really ever been in touch with is uh, Roger Stella. Um, you know, I bought tapes from him for years and then um, got to play shows with him. And um, um, yeah, which are wild times, but I don't know if I should say it, say here, but he's a wild guy. Uh, and um, And yeah, it was really, I got to like pick his brain a little bit about uh, the old days and um, learned a little bit about how he approached noise. And uh, yeah, I think that was pretty influential to me. Is that a while ago or is that more recently? Uh, that was a while ago. Yeah. Um, Luke and I saw Roger for the first time at the same time. It was a show in Oberlin, Ohio. And do you remember when that was, Luke? It was a very long time ago. Oh, uh, was it like 2013? or so maybe yeah or maybe even sooner than that but maybe early 2010s yeah. um uh-huh. but i think i had been buying tapes from him since he first started like reissuing that stuff which was probably in 2008 maybe this episode of white centipede noise podcast is brought to you by scream and writhe distro and absurd exposition label canadian-based source for experimental electronics harsh noise power electronics etc over 1,000 items in stock on all formats media mail shipping to the USA, and affordable international shipping. Available Friday, November 5th, Normal Rituals, Another Center Tape, and Coastal Flood, Other Frontiers, triple three-inch CDR compilation of cult Canadian noise. Forthcoming in 2022, Merzbau, Aqua Necromancer Expanded Double LP, reissue of the essential psych noise mantra from 1998, plus releases from Alex York, Hermit, Neural, Mott, the Nausea, The Rita, Violent Shogun, Wince, and more. Visit ScreamAndWrithe.com or AbsurdExposition.BandCamp.com. Do you guys uh, prefer to perform as collabor- in collaborations uh, rather than solo? I'll ask you, I'll ask you Luke. Uh, Luke, do you, do you prefer to perform uh, in a group rather than solo? Uh, currently, absolutely. Yeah. I don't really have much interest in doing solo performances or recording right now. Um, I'm not really sure why. Is this something that I've been experiencing the past year or so? Um, I just find it more Mm -hmm. fulfilling to work with somebody else. Um, Yeah. Do you guys ever get sick of noise? I do. I do. I do. (laughs) You do, Luke? Um, I mean... Maybe not sick, but um, my interests kind of ebb and flow a little bit. So I certainly have always liked it. Um, 
But my, I mean, uh, definitely like running the record store has changed my taste in music pretty dramatically. Um, and I mm. kind of just become open to more stuff than I ever have been before. Uh, just because I'm surrounded by it all the time. And um, I find it pretty liberating personally to explore like so many different types of music. Um, it brings me a lot of joy. So with that, like, I feel like, you know, my interests kind of focus on other areas more than noise sometimes. And what do you guys say about um, criticisms that noise in 2021 is overproduced? Uh, I don't know if I've heard that one. What do you mean by overproduced? I don't really know, but I've heard a couple of people. I mean, okay, on the one hand, the noise scene is so small. So anytime anyone says anything, um, if two people say it, it seems like uh, it's like a new wave, but um, that's not actually the case. But I've heard, a, I've, I, I, I've seen a couple of people drop this, uh, this general criticism, not necessarily aimed at anything, but that, but that noise is becoming too overproduced. Does that, does that strike a bell? Does that resonate with you guys at all? Did you, do you perceive that at all? No. Stefan? I mean, anytime, anytime anyone says noise is blank, there's a billion things that say noise isn't blank. Noise is blank, blank. I mean, it's it's so deep and diverse. I think to sort of say there's one trend eclipsing everything else is always preposterous. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, if, like, by overproduced, like, people are referring to things that are, like, recorded well, like, not on crusty old tape players or... Um, you know, having the tapes um, duplicated by somebody else, like some factory or whatever, and printed on nice paper, um, expensive LP reissues, things like that. Um, I guess there is more of that now than there used to be. And so I guess that's a change, but I guess it's a matter of taste whether or not you think that's overproduced or just produced, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think there's room for a variety of different things going on. I mean, noticing label trends, I do think there's more, there's fewer and fewer do-it-yourself tape labels where every part of the process is in-house. Like when I started New Forces, the overwhelming assumption was you were dubbing the tapes at home, printing them yourself, folding them and inserting them. And I think more and more people are getting pro-dub tapes. Um, so, you know, I hope we, I hope the genre doesn't lose the intensely DIY aspect of running a noise label. And I don't think it probably will, but maybe that is a little bit of a trend that there's more professionally manufactured tapes than there used to be. How do you guys feel about pro professionally dubbed tapes? I don't think they sound as good for noise, frankly. I think those companies are scared to blow it out in, in the, in a way that, you know, if I do something at home is actually enhancing the sound, not ruining it right. by pushing it into the red. I think it's an issue with it, with cassettes um, because What's the, I don't understand the point of a cassette um, if you're doing it through a professional company and shrink wrapping it in 2021. Um, and I think that the sound quality is almost always weaker than if you, if you know how to dub at home and you can do it right, um, you can get way, way better sounding tapes than, than a professionally duplicated tape for noise music at least. And um, I think that's being lost. And so you get kind of slick looking tapes that are sound really small, mm -hmm. which I think is a strange trend. And no one seems to really, 
prioritize that or not many people prioritize that i mean that's i guess the the aspect that noise is overproduced in 2021 um you know with the production actual physical production of releases yeah i could see that point being made but sonically i don't really that seems like a strange thing to say to me like how is it more yeah. sonically overproduced in 2021 than it was in 2000 when like right. people were i think i think that's the criticism i don't think the criticism is aimed at um like manufacturing i think it's aimed at the the recording the editing techniques the the mixing techniques or you know whatever mm -hmm. are you guys pretty adept with uh like mixing in a computer like do you do that, that that's that's the irony of this complaint is i have no idea what i'm doing and i'm recording in my bedroom i'm not going to studios to record my noise no because you were one of the ones accused of being overproduced right stefan there's one internet comment to compare me to like jackson pratt jason krumer and all of japanese noise which is frankly pretty good company to be in but yeah i mean my rec my recording process is is remarkably primitive. I mean, I think the complaint was more like not studio. I think the complaint is like noise that isn't sort of like single mindedly pummeling. Which I love that if that's what someone likes, that's fine. But I also don't think that cop even comes close to capturing the breadth of the genre. So, I think too, like over the years, there's just like sort of knowledge that's passed down. Like there's just more and more noise out there that you can listen to and like sort of pick up on techniques and like um you can talk to other people and ask how they're doing things and then i don't know it's like probably a lot easier to make like uh well edited cut up noise now uh than it was uh back in the day when like nobody really knew what they were doing they were just pressing pause on a tape player maybe sure i mean if, yeah i mean the the ease of the technology to access is I mean, for cut up noise, for example, is much greater than. Yeah, I mean, I, I played a I played a fest with Sickness, Chris Goudreau, a couple of weekends ago, and we were driving back and forth from New York City both days, and so talking a lot. And Chris was talking about how how he was talking about the advances in recording technology and editing and even gear that enable that kind of cut up sound that he's one of the pioneers from. And he was talking about how like some of the CDs he did in the '90s the incredible work and things he had to actually come up with to realize that sound. Now you can buy a trog joystick or just do it in audacity and get that same effect. And so, I mean, obviously advance, advances or innovations in gear and editing have certainly enabled new things. Sure. But you guys aren't like heavily deep in multi-track editing and, uh, Mixing in DAWs or, or are you? No, I think we all know like sections and audacity and delete them. And that's pretty much about it. <laughs> At least for me. That's cool. No, cause I mean, I, the, especially the, well, I feel like the, the heat signature recordings are so dense and so multi-layered that I sometimes wonder if those guys have to be like still taking the session really just like, you know, multi, multi-tracking and layering it after the fact. Cause it's always, the rhythm is so, or the, the, the flow is so impeccable and 
the energy is always increasing and increasing, increasing. The timing is so great. Um, but I, I think that really just speaks to your guys's ability to play live. Like going back to what you guys said about the, I mean, about, I guess, also Brad being a, a live wizard, but just this, I've seen that in all of you guys play. I mean, I actually have never seen Brad play live, but Luke, I've seen that in your live sets, um, way, way back that just this great skill for live playing of noise. And I, do you find playing live noise is important? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If only for like, it makes, uh, making a quality recording easier. Um, sure. you know, I would say just like, because although we like, I kind of like dumbed down what Brad and I do as far as recording, but I mean, we certainly make our best attempt to like make the best noise that we can while we're recording, even if it's going to be a really long session. Um, yeah. So like playing live is, and is definitely important. Um, or playing live well is definitely important to the recording process. I mean, because, um, I mean, we want to perform live, hopefully as well, or close to what we can do on recording too. So that's like something that we try to keep in mind is, um, although the recordings might not be exactly the same as live, we try to do something that we can perform both live and on recording. That's kind of similar, I guess. Yeah. I mean, in relation to what you're saying, Oscar, I think, you know, I mean, I think it's particular noise when you start talking about good versus bad, you get into um, sketchy territory very quickly because it's all so radically subjective. But I also think, you know, listening to Lou talk about heat, heat signature, it's crystal clear when you get a heat signature recording that like a lot of time and effort and thought went into that. And it's not just kind of dumb, like Luke said, he doesn't want to dumb it down, right? I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of effort and care that went into that. And so I think some of the complaints maybe you read or people have, it's like, you know, could sort of sarcastically be rendered as why listen to something good that's going to challenge you when there's so much just like garbage stuff uploaded to Bandcamp that's like safe and, you know, uh, key signatures intimidating probably. Mm -hmm. And it should be because so much goes into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, earlier you were saying like, uh, Oscar, about uh, you're asking about the relationship between like live noise and like the recorded stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it seemed like you were suggesting that there was like a live element, like into the recorded output or like that the recorded stuff sounds live. Um, so like one, for me, it's almost like uh, the reverse, like when I play live and then when uh, we practice uh, rehearse together, um, I actually like try to play as if, what's going to come out is like a really well edited tape. <laughs> so like, I'll like let things go for a while and then like switch channels like abruptly and uh, make sure to like play back things on tape so that like what comes out of the amps or what gets fed into the four track or whatever is a blown out tape sound. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that's, that's how it is for me. Uh, maybe that's why my live shows are evidently so unique. <laughs> uh, but uh, do you do a lot of pre-planning when you play live? Uh, sort like of. Set? Yeah, like I, I probably, um, I mean, I make a point to like carefully select pre-recorded noise and like 
uh, figure out exactly how I want it to sound by blowing it out, usually through multiple EQs. <laughs> um, and then uh, the live element is usually the same, like a contact mic or a vocal, vocal mic. Um, but I don't have like a trajectory that I plan to go on. I just like pick the elements that I want to have. And then I just like live mix them, um, both pre-recorded stuff and uh, live microphones. I mean, if I can kind of analyze my friend, right, I think part of the legend, the live legend of Brad Griggs is that all three of us are pretty quiet, relaxed guys, but Brad arguably is the quiet and the most relaxed. And so live Brad Griggs is kind of like seeing the dog come off the leash. Like there's an energy Brad has playing live that if you know Brad and haven't seen him play live is kind of shocking and, and intense at first because Brad lets loose live in this way that I think is, you know, somewhat unique to noise performance. Mm -hmm. well, for those that don't know, Brad's in a band, a uh, noise core band called Penis Geyser. Um, so, yes, uh, which um, I also wanted to ask about. Uh, and I just had the remark on kind of what Stefan said about Brad when he played live. I can't remember uh, what particular time it was, but it was one of the first times I saw Penis Geyser play live. And Brad is a vocalist and plays guitar, and there's a drummer in the band too. But I remember being like startled by what I saw uh, just because it was like a part of Brad that I've never seen before. And it was like slightly like, yeah, unsettling and scary to me because it was just like uh, a facet that only came out when penis guys are played. Um, so I, yeah. Can you guys describe what, what that's like, what that, what that looks like? It's hard to describe penis geyser because they're like noise core in a very broad sense of the term. Everything about it is like punishing and, uh, and violent and extreme, not necessarily, I mean, but like in weird ways. So they'll like stop and refuse to play. Michael plays with his drum set and tweaks it and resets it endlessly. needed like the whole thing is like this sort of like full body experience of punishment. And then it erupts periodically with Brad, you know, yelling and hitting his guitar and the thrashing of the drums. It's hard to describe, but they're, they're definitely peak noise going Yeah. On. It's unpredictable and chaotic. It's, I mean, I think it's, it feels dangerous to me. I think it kind of embodies like the, one of the true like spirits of noise where it feels like kind of dangerous and unpredictable. Does that same kind of energy come through when he plays uh noise so to speak like like strict noise like not not penis geyser or but when he plays solo or or in uh one of your collaborations i think it can i think it mm -hmm. does yeah i mean that's what's great about hedonature is that there's a great contrast there because luke is sort of famously one of the most zen live performers i mean luke is quiet barely moves and sort of is just carefully tweaking and massaging the sound. And meanwhile, Brad is sort of thrashing all over the place right next to him. And so live, there's a great visual and performative contrast there. Brad, is that something you, you consciously cultivate or is that something that just comes out? Uh, yeah, just something that comes out. Yeah. When the amps are like maxed out and like everything's pushed to the red, it's hard not to cut loose. Yeah, I think uh, with Penis Geyser too, I think a lot of the chaos really comes from Michael, my bandmate. Uh, he's just like very unique drumming style. And um, he's, I get a lot of the things that were just said about me could be said about him and probably more true of him where he's like very quiet uh, and reserved. Uh, but then as soon as he gets behind the drum set, he just like changes into a different person and 
becomes unleashed. So maybe um, maybe that's why Penis Geyser works so well, because there's two people like that um, unleashing at the same time. Do you play often uh, live these days, Brad? I mean, of course, no one's played often in the last uh, couple of years, but... Um... Like, are you, are you, are you working on noise quite regularly outside of penis guys? I'm talking about like your solo stuff or like, are you, are you, are you rehearsing or playing live, uh, fairly regularly these days as Brad? Grew? Yeah, not too regularly. Um, most of the, usually when I get an itch to play noise, I'll just contact Luke and then we'll get together and do like a heat signature session. Um, I do some things, uh, by myself. Um, but, um, I live in an apartment and it's just like way more fun to, play loudly in somebody's basement. Have either of you played solo since that New York show with Form Hunter a couple years ago? I haven't. I don't think so. Mm -mm. Yeah. Stefan, is there any, you're in, you're in a collaboration group called, you're in a group called Form Hunter with Western Cherokees. Is there any fundamental difference to how Form Hunter approaches sound? Than action discipline? Yeah, pretty different. I mean, you know, and I guess I'm the consistent part, but Brad and Western are very different in, in their approach to how they make noise and their approach to sound. I mean, so Brad, as you can tell from what he said, is very much influenced by stuff like Macronympha, uh, David Gilden. Weston is more of a cassette tape guy. So Weston has committed himself to understanding and getting sound out of a variety of forms of tape manipulation. And so Form Hunter is more like attention because I'm, I'm, when I, what I do with Form Hunter is closer to what Brad does. Um, and so Form Hunter is this kind of tension where I'm pulling us in this sort of ignorant, louder direction. And Weston is trying to introduce grimier, tapier elements. Um, I've mm -hmm. certainly corrupted West, Weston over the duration of this project into more uh, bombastic and ignorant realms of blasting harsh noise, mm. um, which I'm happy for. But I think a, cre a key ingredient there is, you know, Weston doing really interesting things with tape and atmosphere and reverb that are above my pay grade. Mm. Um, and so we've got a, a CD that's going to be out on Tronics and Helicopter probably in the next few weeks. And you can, I think you can hear that. I mean, this one, it's really pushed loud and hard and, and, and harsh but there's still, you can hear those bits of pieces where Weston's introducing more sophisticated tape elements to mix things up. Phil actually just told me also that he is, uh, he, he sends his best to you all and um, mentioned that he's also uh, hopefully waiting on a being master for Tronics. Is that true? Uh, yeah, he did ask me. Um, sadly, I haven't really done much for that. It's, um, a very intimidating offer and I'm kind of like freaked myself out about it a little bit. So, but yeah, um, he's assured me that it's not a rush really. So hopefully someday I'll get a master to him. What's the status of being in your mind? Um, I don't think it's, it's not over. I haven't like, I don't want to try to, you know, declare it being over or anything. I'm just kind of stepping back from it a little bit. I think in a lot of ways, I felt like I ran out of ideas for what to do with the project. And um, one thing I've always tried to do is constantly progress in some way. Like, I feel like there's been different stages of the project where I've maybe focused on different methods of making noise and, and different uh, sound palettes. And um, so 
that's one thing I've always tried to do is keep things changing and progressing somehow in some way. And um, I just haven't really found out what's what I'm going to do next with it. Maybe hmm. um, I just uh, for whatever reason I I just kind of lost inspiration to do it do noise by myself, and that was primarily doing being stuff. Um, so I just need to find out what's next, I guess, or whatever is going to excite me again to, to do it. I'm sure running the record short record shop is a huge, just time, um, time obstacle. Yeah. With everything you want to, you might want to be doing creatively. I can imagine that that's even, even if you were feeling motivated, it'd be hard to to find the time because you're you're really busy with the store. Yeah, a lot of time is occupied with that and just a lot of my mental energy too goes into that. So even when I'm not right. at the store working, I'm always, that's what I'm pretty much always thinking about. Um, right. But it's gotten better. I have like a little bit more free time that I, now that I have employees. So um, that's good. Um, and, but yeah, I just feel like a lot of times I'm pretty, I'm stretched pretty thin. It's like I kind of, commit to a lot of things maybe that maybe I shouldn't commit to. And um, it's hard to make time and space for everything else. So, um, hmm. But I'm at least happy that I, um, you know, Heat Signature is still very active and um, that's an inspiring to me. Um, yeah. It's probably like, honestly, the out of all the noise things I've ever done, it's like, the most like personally gratifying to me. And it's something I feel like I could stand behind the most out of anything I've ever done before. So I guess that's a plus, even cool. though I'm not acting so solo wise anymore. This episode of white centipede noise podcast is brought to you by new forces coming soon on new forces, the debut full length CD from mass marriage, the best kept secret in heavy electronics, a CD of evil moisture's classic album GAC remastered from the original source tape. New cassettes by Cost, Robert Fuchs, and Mott, each offering a unique approach to harsh noise. Visit the New Forces store for older releases and distro titles, including Richard Ramirez, CCCC, Kufar, Aaron Dilloway, Jeff German, Altar of Flies, Kyostad, Sissy Spacek, Killer Bug, and much more. Tell me about Amplified Humans Festival. Is that a one-time thing, or is that... Um, sorry, did you did you do more than one, or was it just, just the, the one. one so far? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that something you guys uh, anticipate doing again in the future? Did you, you sorry, I have to uh, check for myself. You guys worked on that together, didn't you? Stefan and I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. me and Luke. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so Luke started his record store pretty soon after that. And so Luke has been busy. Yeah. I don't think we've, you know, so we haven't talked about it, but I think we, and I don't want to speak for Luke, I think we'd be open to doing something like that again. But yeah, uh, I think we just, you know, I've, I've been moving around. It's, it's, we've been busy. Yeah. And we never wanted to make the commitment to do the, the annual fest thing that a lot of people have done. I think, um, I personally can't imagine doing that, uh, uh that a noise festival, that gravity every year, uh, just with the amount of like work yeah. that went into it. Um, and I think we, honestly, I think we did it at a time before, things really exploded with like uh, no noise and social media. So maybe in some ways we had to work harder for the promotional work that sure. we did for the fest. Um, 
that that just feels different to me back then. Um, I think if we had done the festival, I feel like you guys did it at a moment when. Um, I mean, I haven't really pinned down exactly when this was, but I think we can all agree that like early 2010s or I don't know, like 2012, 2013 was kind of a like a a low point for noise. Like people, it was people. I don't I don't know if those are the exact years, but a lot of people moved to other interests. the The fanaticism was really reduced to really the core fanatics. Um, and I feel like that's kind of when that festival took place in that kind of that lull, which I feel like if that happened today, the last couple of years have been pretty crazy. I think that if that happened today with the lineup you had then, um, you guys would have to move to like a bigger venue. Like it wouldn't have, like it would be. It and would part be of what was interesting about Amplified Humans was the decision and insistence to do it in Dayton, Ohio, right? I mean, Dayton, Ohio is a cool city, but it's not the cultural center that somewhere like New York or LA or Chicago is. Right. And part of that was because Luke and I are both a product of, you know, smaller, humbler, harder working Midwest noise scenes that produced all this really cool stuff yeah. in the 2000s and wanted to sort of honor that a little bit rather than mm -hmm. doing the sort of inevitable New York City Fest or Los Angeles Fest where there'd be a bigger pool of casual attendees. But at Dayton, unless people lived there, they had to make a conscious decision to drive three, four hours to go see that fest. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I think we can both say that there was probably very few people locally that came to that festival, you know, a handful of people, maybe most people were coming from out of state. And so in that sense, it was a festival that you had to really want to be there to attend. Um, so that was special, just seeing people come from afar for it, and um, yeah. And how do you guys feel about it after the fact? Like, how do you how did you feel about it after the fact then, and how do you feel about it now? Like, it's success. I feel incredible about it still. I think we pulled off something really amazing that's going to be talked about and remembered for a long time, hopefully, and um, still hear people talk about it, which is really cool. Um, so I'm very proud of what we did. And it was well documented on video too, right? Yeah. Right. Jay Linsky uh, did an incredible job filming with multiple cameras every set. So that DVD is out there, which is a nice document um, for people to want to see. I think it's also been uploaded to YouTube at this point. So is it still in print? Is it still available? I'm sold out. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have any more left. copies either. Um, so it's sold out, but uh, mm. there is, we did 300 copies, so there is plenty to go around. If you want to get it, it's, it wouldn't be that hard to find a copy, I don't think. I feel like that's worth uh, like uploading to download somewhere, like as an archive thing. I mean, maybe not. It's not a bad it, idea, actually. Yeah. Like, or even, or even, or even like a YouTube or Vimeo or something like that. Something like Vimeo, I think, is a bit higher quality, you know, so that, so that it's there. I think that's, that's really. Because also you have the, always the issue with DVDs of the the, the regional codes. Yeah, um, I can't. Im I I can imagine that a lot of people outside of the U.S. or you know in Europe or Asia did not manage to check it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm I'm pretty self-critical, but I think with that fast, at the very least, we can say. We gave people in the U.S. a chance to see Killer Bug, and not yeah. just like see Killer Bug, but see. Cosmodo Endo do a set that more than 
went beyond the incredible high expectations everyone already had yeah. for a killer book set. So that was yeah. that was a that was definitely a top five music moment for myself. Yeah. Seeing Endo finish off that fest uh, in rare form. Yeah. I loved also the the pictures of you, Luke, uh, online after the fact at the airport with Endo crying. <laughs> just like I love the fact that you're able to. You've got a big heart, and you've got to, You you don't mind showing it because like yeah. just this, uh, you know what you wrote. I don't know what you wrote, but just like you know, just how overwhelmed with emotion you were from the festival and the, you know, the experience was so you know it was really touching and really motivating to see and really beautiful. Again, also, I think at a time where it felt like a lot of people were over noise, like, Oh, you know, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a moment where noise was really, really popping. So it was like, you were, it was like this moment of seeing these people, the, 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 the distillation of these really true, fans and true fanatics that was uh so cool and I'm, i wish i i wish i could have been there thanks i would i would have hugged you for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a incredible moment afterwards i mean i was certainly ecstatic and i think it was kind of like everything was just erupting like all all my stress and anxiety had finally like been released and i just saw like yeah. one of the my you know personal like favorites and a master of noise play like a perfect set and in my hometown. And it was just like, you know, kind of in disbelief that it would, that it happened. Yeah. Both Endo and Kazuma Kubota were very gracious and lovely to be around that weekend. I mean, it's probably a kind of overwhelming thing to come from Japan to the United States to play in, play in Dayton, Ohio, right? It's not like going to New York City. Um, it's not the kind of like tourist experience they may be expected, but I think they had a good time. Mm-hmm. And they were, their performances were, you know, I mean, it's, it's a gamble, right? When you spend thousands of dollars on one or two artists and to have them more than affirm the, the investment of time and money and energy was, was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, what are your guys, what are a few impressions of the noise scene right now, 2021? I mean, that's very vague, but I want to, I want to hear, this is your chance to tell me some things. Uh, what, what do you think is, what are you, what are you excited about right now? What's, what's good that's going on and, uh, what are you not impressed with or what's bothering you about the noise scene right now? I feel like it's hard for me to answer this without doing some sort of crass label centric, like dollars and cents kind of answer. Um, but running a label, I mean, we, you talked about that kind of lull that we experienced after the no fun fest era, 2012, 2013, we are full. I mean, enthusiasm seems very, very high, uh, stuff sells. People are very excited to get it. I think particularly in the past year in the United States, people had a little extra money in their pocket because of some nice government assistance. And so in particular, People were at home under the pandemic buying a lot of noise. So I noticed that. But besides the sort of money aspect, I think there is a lot of interest and that's very healthy and very cool. Yeah, one uh, recent thing that I've uh, kind of picked up on and like a lot is um, this kind of like sort of new school of like weird 
harsh noise uh, in the U.S. Uh, in particular, like the I Am Elegant label, um, all of those projects. Uh, the newer label, uh, Robert Fuchs, um, I think the project names changed from tape to tape, but the last one was like Dalias. Um, and I would put like Worth into that camp. Um, and then uh, uh, Presage uh, too, uh, where it's like, it's all, at least for the most part, harsh noise, uh, but it's not a shaker box uh, DOD pedal style. It's like usually using. There's a definitely, there's a definitely bizarre, twisted, like. Stuart Skinner, all his stuff. That's like ground zero for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And maybe that's, I don't know exactly what that is, but that's something that's been exciting me, that sound. Uh, Maybe it's sort of stepping back from how everything has gotten really um, specialized and subgenre to death, maybe, is that you have those groups doing interesting things that are, it's kind of unpredictable and um, strange. And that's really inspiring and exciting. There's a another project uh, called Slacking that's been pretty cool and interesting to me. And uh, mm-hmm. like Dean, who's the uh, the guy that runs a Robert Fox label that releases stuff under different names, uh, this guy Jim, who does a Slacking project, uh, he was just a Discogs customer of mine and um, asked me to you know if he could send me something, and and it was great. Um, and it was cool to have that, that kind of connection with somebody where, um, you know, like I was just solicited by these guys and they asked if they could share something with me. And, um, in this day and age where it's really easy to do that by just sending somebody a link, you know, getting a tape in the mail from a total stranger asking you to check out their stuff and it turning out to be excellent is like a really cool thing that, and special thing to happen, I think. That probably is a rarity. Yeah. yeah, I mean, most solicitations are totally thoughtless, and it's crystal clear that despite their 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 claim to being huge fans, like they're sending this Bandcamp link to the thirty labels they just Google, and so getting something yeah. more personal means a lot. Mm-hmm. I think we can use this platform, um, like, as a chance to like throw out a few messages there. That I think we should get to everyone. I want to say this to people who are listening. If you're an artist and you, um, if you're a newer artist um, or in general any artist, and you want to uh, approach a label, maybe about getting your work released or even listened to, um, the best way is definitely a personalized email and a physical format. It's really obvious when you copy paste something. If you've never ordered from the label. Um, and you copy paste a generic uh, invitation to release your stuff and you have pre-finished artwork, it's not gonna, it's not gonna get you far. Some people might pick it up, but I highly recommend to all artists out there, put some thought into it, send this person, if you really wanna be on their label, send them personally a thought out email, uh, that makes a huge difference. Even in getting people... even getting someone to listen to the music, if someone writes me an email um, and says, you know, I like your label and you know, I blah blah blah, and I can tell that this person is sincere, I will listen to it, and I've released stuff on that. Simply like people I don't know, mm-hmm. um, I've never released anything by anyone sending me a a generic. Will you release my 
demo um, thing, and I never, I never ever listened to it, and no one listens to it. So just please, it's true. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes people get the perception that there's like gatekeeping going on or something, but when people ask like, how do I get people to pay attention or blah blah blah, uh, do it yourself. I mean, it's everyone here or at least the three of us that ran long-term labels, like the start of that label is a mechanism to release around music, right? Um, You go through some years where nobody cares, but if there's sustained and consistent quality, eventually people are going to start paying attention. And I just don't think that a a digital link is going to um, establish the kind of interest that just doing it yourself and creating something that you've created and then making that really good and interesting to people is going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's gatekeeping. It's uh but it's about sincerity and uh, it's about sincerity first and foremost, mm-hmm. even if your noise is bad, it's about sincerity. I'll definitely, I'll definitely check it out if I feel like you're sincere mm-hmm. and things don't happen overnight. You have to go through phase of working on it and, uh, showing it to people and doing it yourself until someone might care. So I don't know. Yeah. Making sincere, uh, connections with people, uh, and real, you know, just real connections. I, we live in a world where everything seems more artificial every day and, you know, getting a personalized message from somebody or, you know, getting a tape in the mail from somebody you don't know. And yeah, that's huge. I think definitely huge. And it's fun. It's, it's fucking awesome, actually, when you get a a package from someone that you weren't expecting, um, with some material that someone thought you might enjoy, uh, and maybe a note. That's fucking huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Stefan, you wanted to say something? Oh yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, so uh, physical space and physical location seems so important, and it's something I get to enjoy right now. So Luke runs his record store. And Skeleton Dust is also a place, at least pre-pandemic, where touring bands would play. So I played Skeleton Dust on tour. A lot of people that probably watch this podcast have played Skeleton Dust on tour. I live in New York City. And so the kind of hub here is the Thousands of Dead Gods noise store, um, which as a physical location becomes this thing that serves multiple purposes, right? It's, it's a place where you can go and buy noise, which is these, this incredibly unique thing. It's a place where people congregate before shows. It's a place where people go after shows. It becomes this kind of hub that generates activity. And the reality of all these different noise scenes is that it's usually like one, two, three people doing most of the heavy lifting. And then when those people stop, often those little regional scenes experience lulls. Um, and so, you know, you need to appreciate when you've got a few people doing all that work to make stuff happen because, uh, we need the live show and we haven't had the live show. It started to come back a little bit. I've been able to, I've been very fortunate to play live um, a couple of times in the past month and damn, did I miss it? And I'm, I'm glad it's back and I'm fortunate to live where I do, where I get to see live noise and play live noise pretty regularly. It's also great that New York city is really pretty active these days. I remember back some years ago when Luke, when you and I toured, that was bleak. Like uh, 2008 or whatever, 2000, I don't know, 2010, yeah. we toured with uh, you, me, Baculum, and Paranoid Time, mm-hmm. and New York City was always the worst place to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was- there was never, there was nothing going on. There was no, sh- there was no space. Um, 
You know, me, Luke, and Brad were on tour, I think, in 2003. We were supposed to play in New York City at the Silent Barn. And the person that said they were going to do the show simply didn't do the show. And so Bob Beller had to step in at the last minute and, like, literally unlock the building for us. And we ended up playing in the kitchen of Silent Barn for two paying audience members that were just Brad's friends. So mm. yeah. uh, New York is not that bleak place it was anymore. Um, yeah. Largely thanks to Matt and Justin at Thousands of Dead Gods and a handful of other people. Yeah. So, but that's also yeah. the cool thing is that, like you said, it, it all, it also really only takes like, there's the negative side when those people drop off, but at the same time, it only takes like usually one or two people to be like, okay, I'm going to be the one that, that sets up shows then if no one else will. And then out of that comes like a scene, like in Minneapolis, uh, there were no noise shows for a while. And this dude, Kevin Cosgrove, who wasn't even like a true hard. Okay. I, he wasn't even like a super hardcore noise head, but he was doing experimental stuff. Um, he just started doing, he just asked a bar if they would let us do weekly or monthly, like noise shows on a Monday night. And they said, yes. And then it became this, like this tradition, this ritual, this, uh, and, and, and a big active live scene grew up out of that. And as soon as that person stops, then it can stop. I mean, but I feel like people shouldn't complain about nothing going on. They should just, I mean, it really can be like one person that in noise is so small and one person to just do something. That's all. That's true of 99% of the whining you see online when people are complaining about stuff, the invariable answer is, well, you should just do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Earlier, uh, Stefan mentioned that the Skeleton Dust record store is like a hub uh, for noise. But uh, I just also wanted to point out that Luke has been doing that for a long time, uh, like well before the store opened. Like he had shows at like, was it like three different houses you lived at in Dayton? Like Acid Fever House, Battery Cage, and then Skeleton Dust uh, HQ. And like, uh, man, I'm just so appreciative to like have been around during that time because it was just such a such a cool scene to be a part of where you would just um, go up to somebody's house and um, it would be very welcoming and you knew everybody that was there and like everybody would have a good time and just like rage in the basement and uh uh, Kathleen, uh, Luke's, uh, wife and then, then girlfriend, she would like make food for us all. And it was like, uh, such a great scene to be a part of. And it was like, if it weren't for that one guy, uh, and also Kathleen helping out too, um, who knows what like the Ohio scene would have been like during those years. Totally. Yeah, respect Luke. Uh, I also have another um, thing on what you said earlier about the tour with uh, Baculum um, being Wentz and uh, Paranoid Time. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but I saw you guys at what you probably think is one of the worst shows you've ever played, which is, uh, is at Cafe Bourbon Street in Columbus. Um, do you remember being there, Oscar? Um, what I remember most about that show is that it was like apparent to me that Oscar, evidently you played really short sets, I think, because it seemed like they were challenging you to play for at least five minutes. Cause I think like paranoid, paranoid time was like holding up like a timer on his phone. And like, it looked like you wanted to give up, but he would like shove it in your face. And like, you like, <sighs> I don't know if it was five minutes. It was probably 10 minutes. I think 10 minutes was like my, uh, 
I think 10 minutes was like my goal that I wanted to, ch- I don't think I was playing like that short sets, but yeah, I, I played short sets and I usually do play quite short sets. Five minutes would have been more like custodian at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a thing that besides the collaborative projects ties the three of us together is how much touring Brad yeah. and Luke and I, and then often Shane Church have done Yeah. In different configurations, both in the Midwest, the East coast and the West coast. Yeah. And honestly, um, I, Shortly before we met, I also thought, "Fuck, maybe I should have asked Shane to come," because I, I, I think of you guys as like a, like a superpower, like a like a like a super group. There are a lot if of I different, can, yeah. There are a lot of different projects you guys are uh, working on together, and um, they're all they're all great, and you guys are all from the same area, and you guys have done so much touring and shows together that I think you guys all kind of have a, you're, I, I see you as a kind of a, as a group, as a, as a kind of a unit in some way. If I can share a bit of wisdom from uh, a New York city noise friend, right? So the, the quote is you've got to play live to make it real live releases tour. If you don't do all of those, it always evaporates. Sure. Um, and so taking the step to play live and tour, I think is such an integral part of this and it's been a lot of fun to do that quite a bit with Brad and Luke and also Shane. Yeah. Who wrote that by the way? Scant, Matt Becky. That's a Matt yeah. Becky. Quote. He is like a fountain of wisdom, isn't he? He is absolutely a font of wisdom and, and, and particularly noise wisdom. Yeah. He can, he can diagnose and analyze all the minutia of this thing we obsess over better than just about anybody. <laughs> yeah. What about some things right now that you guys really aren't feeling about the noise scene? Just one each. Don't don't go too far. <laughs> uh, well, I really appreciate uh, the reissues that have been coming out lately. Like um, I I buy a lot of them, uh, but sometimes it is like I would really like to hear like some new stuff. Um, like you know the people putting out the reissues. You know, it's just kind of like, well, what have you been up to lately? I would like to hear that. Right. Um, as an offender, I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll reiterate that I like the reissues, but I wish there was a better balance of new stuff to old stuff. Yeah. Can I pass to Luke? I got to think on this one. For yeah, I think too. Um, really the only thing that, um, to me that I'm not into too much is just the influx of new releases coming out all the time. I feel like uh, I feel overwhelmed by it, especially as a record store owner. Um, I'm getting solicited like all the time for people to asking to me to carry their release, which I'm almost always happy to do. Um, You know, a lot of times it'll just be on a consignment basis because I'm limited financially to what I can spend on new stock. So I'm pretty much always happy to carry anything that anybody wants to send on a consignment basis. But um, it's just overwhelming. Um, you have to really sift through a lot of stuff that's coming out all the time. And I'm sure there's some really magical, uh, noise being put out that I just don't know about because there's just too much out there to kind of go through. And, um, and I think maybe like, you know, I'm familiar with labels that I, I enjoy and the kind of stuff they're putting out. So that helps to like follow labels that you trust uh, what they're going to release. Um, but the, 
I guess like maybe the band camp culture of noise. I don't want to sound elitist when I say that, but I feel like it's, um, there's just so much out there and it's overwhelming and it kind of kills it for me sometimes. And I wish people would just mm -hmm. maybe take more time and put more care into what they release rather than trying to focus on cranking out something every band camp Friday. Luke said mine. I mean, I was going to say the band camp thing, you know, my, my preference for the physical thing, right. That's a little bit more subjective, but I also think the increasing ease of the digital tools means that you can kind of just exist in that ecosystem and never push yourself to create physical things in large editions that you're kind of betting on yourself that over time people are going to get interested in. Yeah. Um, you can simply just put it on Bandcamp. your four other friends download it. And that, that just, that just kind of keeps circulating in its own little ecosystem. Um, I think, yeah, I think what you said about large, sorry, go ahead. Gambling on yourself to say, no, you know what? I'm going to make 75, hundred tapes. I may have these for a long time, but if it's good three years down the line, someone might say, Hey, this thing came out. I want to actually have it in my hand. And it's not just some URL code that's uh, forgettable. Exactly. And I think that's a cool thing. The uh, important thing you said about um, larger editions. I think there's some weird, there's some weird like obsession that people have with things being sold out right away. Right. And you, you sold out of 20 tapes. Who gives a shit? Like that's not selling out. You just didn't make enough. Right. Exactly. You didn't make enough. And I think if it's sold out, that means people can't buy it. So I don't, I don't see that as a, as a goal. I think people really love to push that. Like, Oh, why is it still available one year later or whatever? It's like, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how it should be really. I know not everyone can do it that way. And I know there are, there are certain releases and certain, reasons artistically aesthetically economically practically etc to keep editions small but i really think investing in a in a release if it's good it'll be good in five years this episode of white centipede noise podcast is brought to you by oxen records an independent label focused on artists in the field of harsh noise based in los angeles california recent releases include peter j woods collages c30 Unsustainable Social Condition, Rapid Polarization 2, C20, Circuit Wound, A Sudden Lapse of Concentration, CD, Scathing, A Capital Beneath the Waves, CD, and Leah P., Surviving the Familiar, CD. www.oxenrecords.bigcartel.com I want to hear from you guys each your top five releases of all time, your five, top five noise releases of all time. Yeah. I'll go first because I watched your first episode uh, the other day and I anticipated this question. So uh, Texas Chainsaw Dope Fiend by David Gilden. I think that's probably my favorite release of all time. Um, and I got a list of macronym for release and that changes um, depending on my mood, I guess. But it usually goes between Baroque or Grind, kind of like the weirder side of macronympha. Mm -hmm. Um, where Roger's hand was heavier in the mix, I think. Um, and then, um, yeah, I got to say something uh, Ramirez-related, I think. So uh, Black Leather Jesus Torture Machinist. Uh, I think that's, like, yeah, my favorite, BLJ. And then um, Mon Bruit, uh Portuguese Man of War. Some people might go with Purgatory, 
Uh, it's definitely the more polished and maybe like in many ways more impressive release, but I just Portuguese Man of War is just like constant barrage of sound, like nonstop. And I guess that's just more of my style. And then um, after that, I think it might be Mersbau Venereology. Hard to pick just one, but I think I return to that one the most. Okay, cool. I mean, my bullshit cop-out answer is that one of the cool things about noise is the incredible depths to it, which means that since I discovered this in, I don't know, 2004, 2005, my answer to this has been changing every six months. So this is hard to answer. Uh, a few things, that, a few things that come off it, yeah. So a few things that come off the top of the head would be the K two Sex Encyclopedia, Mersbau Noise Embryo, Pain Jerk Action Breed, Hands Two Dikesh. And if you have me back on the podcast, I'm probably going to give you a whole totally different list next time. So, because that's only four, isn't it? That's four. I'll think. Let Luke go. I'll try to think <laughs> of a fifth. Yeah, there's gonna be some duplicates here for sure. Um, but yeah, Gilden, uh, D- David Gilden, Texas Chainsaw Doping, and these in no particular order. It's just what I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Macronympha Baroque. Um, I can say that's my favorite Macronympha. Um, Cosmeto Endo, While You Were Out, is um, one definitely one of my favorites of all time. Um, Mersbau. Uh, I really like Metal Velodrome a lot. That's um, probably my current favorite Mersbaum. Is that four? It's four. Um, and I'm just looking at my Macronympha uh, tape ball. So I would have to say Blister Pack Turney's Wad is a, probably my fifth choice. Cool. Stefan, your last one? It would be easier if I was at home. I'm in my office surrounded by books and not tapes. Um I don't know. Look maybe maybe something by Crawl Unit or Joe Colley. Okay. Uh, maybe the big Joe Colley three LP box set that CIP did. Cool. Okay. Cool. Coming soon on White Centipede Noise, Altar of Flies, Otterblick Triple LP, Jason Krumer Ruth CD, Worth Sacred Violence Noise CD, K M Tupfer Retrace No Steps CD, Kakerlak, The Heat of the Whole Temporary and Successive Stages CD. Apropot, Hot Lava Shampoo CD, The New Boyfriend's 4 CD, as well as tapes from Vincent Dallas, Moosehead, and Wince. And now before we wrap it up, th- three favorite noise releases of the past year. Past year, that's a that's a good question. I can help, Discause can help me here. I can no. pull my Discause. No, 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 no. Windows closed. I don't, I don't want to see any clicking. I don't want to see any, I want to, I want this to come from, because if it, if you have to look on Discogs, then it's then it's not true. Yeah, yeah. All right. The testicle hazard disc on Tronics. Mm-hmm. I'm playing that a lot. I'm playing the sewer lot election disc on Usagi quite a bit. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you guys go. I'll circle back. No, 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 no. Oscar, you're a taskmaster. <laughs> um, God, this is hard to do not sitting in my house with my records in front of me. Uh, the the Itzy Ramirez cassette on American Erectors, which is Omar Gonzalez's new label. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was basically, I was supposed to play a show with her like the week that New York City locked down for COVID-19. Um, never seen her play live, but that tape, I've been playing that tape quite a bit. So that tape sticks out in my head. Cool. Brad? Yeah, it's hard to remember like names of like the releases and in some cases the projects, but like just in general, uh, the stuff that's been coming out on the Robert Fox label, I think that most recent tape, Dalias is the project name. Uh, that was incredible. Uh, and then uh, Shameless plug, I've got a Robert Fox tape coming out probably next month. You're doing one and for Robert that label or he's doing one for you? He's doing a solo tape on the label and it's called Robert hmm. Fox. So it's not any of those other projects. Yeah. And he's apparently sending me stuff for White Setup Noise very soon. So I hope to be able to check it out and have it in stock quite soon. Yeah, and um, whatever comes out on I Am Elegant, I just got the new Star tape, but I haven't listened to it yet. But um, if it's like any of the other ones, I'm sure it's going to be really good. And then um, I just got the new Wasteland Jazz Unit CD on Tronics and Helicopter, and Stefan just put out a tape for them, too, that's in a similar vein. Um, it's just really that project's been around for longer than I have, I think, um, and it's I think it's fair to say that like years ago, they were probably associated with like Michigan noise, like Midwestern noise, that sort of stuff, and not really like capital H in harsh noise. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool now that they're like getting appreciated by a different sort of audience with releases on Oxen, New Forces, Tronics, and um, yeah, that new CD is really killer. It's like, if anybody's ever seen them live, you know that it's like, the most painful noise you've ever experienced in a uh, good way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Cool. Luke. Um, I may not be getting my timeline exactly right. I'm just thinking about kind of recent things and you know, the last yeah. year and a half has been kind of a blur. Um, but just to clarify, are we talking about new releases or re are reissues included? New releases. New, re new releases. Okay. Um, the, the Yostad, uh, Red Iron Knife CD was like one of my favorites and that may be a 2020 release. Um, uh, but I'm going to throw it. In. Yeah, it's 2020. That's fine. It, you know, last, last one Recent. year, last 12 months or yeah. one yeah. and a half year, whatever. Uh -huh. Um, trying to think here, um, Hmm. What else have I liked? Um, Certainly, like the there was a couple tapes on I Am Elegant that really impacted me a lot, and these also are, I think, are 2020 releases. But there was a Star tape and um, another project name that I can't recall, but they they came in those big oversized boxes. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, Andromeda. Ad Adorama. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. but. Um, yeah. Great I think the Adorama tape was like especially impactful to me. Um, hmm. And then um, probably trying to think here, new wise. Um, probably like a, a slacking tape. I don't re recall what it was, but it was like some uh, maybe a self titled tape that was very limited uh, something that Jim sent me that um, it was the first thing I heard from him and it was just um, great stuff. I think an another thing I want to mention, uh, even though 
I already went over my limit of three. Uh, I, I was I was <laughs> get, I was I was being merciful actually. Yeah. Uh, see- uh, I would have said five. Yeah. Uh, seepage. I really like that project. Yes. And all the tapes absolutely. that have come out. Yeah. Um, that shit is heavy. Yeah. Is so good. Like the um, aesthetics of the project, like the artwork and the track titles, to me are very reminiscent of like mid two thousands, like California harsh noise, like monorail trespassing and um, uh, Gordon Ashworth's label and Calogan. Uh, the sound, though, I think is, I mean, I guess there's some similarities, but I think they have their own sound for sure, and the sound is great. Yeah, Seepage played the first show back in New York City from the pandemic in the alley outside Dead Gods, and it was awesome. Killer. That's awesome. Yeah, so Oscar, after cheating, the things I would add would be the Joe Cauley trance tapes cassette on No Rent. That's really Charmaine, The Charmaine Lee LP. And then the Aaron Dillaway and Lucretia Dull LP, which is also very cool. Cool. All right, guys. Well, we're about out of time here. Thank you so much for joining me. It was really nice to see you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Anything else you guys want to add before we wrap it up? Play live. When you can do so safely. Uh, I, I would just say uh, thanks for starting this podcast. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a great uh, contribution to like the overall noise scene. Like internationally, everybody's going to have access. Well, everybody who can access the internet will have access to this, and it'll be interesting stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah, I would say yeah, thank yeah. You, it's my pleasure. Thank you for doing what you do, Oscar. I mean, because you're really carrying like a American Midwest torch in a different part of the world, which is really cool. Uh, yeah. Just making something happen there. And um, I mean, I feel like what you're doing, you're more active than you've ever been before in my eyes, as far Definitely. as like with your label and all the different facets of what you're doing distribution. Um, you know, yeah. so thank you for doing that sometimes thankless work of being that I hope everyone can appreciate the maniacal thanklessness of running a noise distro because Luke and Oscar in particular know know what that is more than I. It's do. not. I don't. It's for me. It's not thankless at all. It's to me. It's like. It's great. I love it so. Currently available from White Centipede Noise, Aaron Dilloway and Jeff German, Casual Collision CD, co-released with New Forces. Various artists, Lacerations, Double CD, co-released with Tronics. Sewer Election and Trix Ruzit, Killing for Germany, Ruxfit CD. Testicle Hazard, 5060 LP. Yeah, cool. All right, guys. Well, um, thanks again for coming in. Um, lots of uh, heat signature stuff is hopefully still in print right now, or at least can be found. Action Discipline as well. I would love to see more from you guys coming out in the near future. Um, yeah, maybe the winds of time will move us closer together someday. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough, but, you know, we're patient. Things don't need to – things can take a break, and that's cool too. And I'm really looking forward to anything else new from you guys, from being – from Brad Griggs. If you ever get any solo stuff done anytime soon, we're we're all waiting for it. There's people that you don't even know who are – I mean, I, I mentioned to someone – I mentioned to someone – who's like, I think in Europe, I don't remember who it was that I was interviewing you guys and they were like, whoa, you got Brad? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know for a tech that Brad technically owes myself, Oscar and Luke tapes. Yeah, everybody. For like a decade or more. I so. have a, a story and a little a 
piece uh-huh. of trivia, though. If you're looking for a solo Brad Griggs effort, um, you can find one under the moniker Amandul 3. Sorry if I'm giving away a secret, Brad. But that is basically a Brad solo release, isn't it? More or less. I mean, you had source material for other people, but you you made it. Yeah, uh it's a very short tape. It's a C7, and the A side I edited together, and then the B side is um, just a straight live collaboration. That's a collaboration between uh, Penis Geyser, Unexamine, and um, Napalm Death is Dead, another noisecore band. And uh, we toured together, and I recorded all the shows, and then um, then yeah, I like played played them all back, mixed it together for the A side, and then the B side was just all, us all playing together uh, in Detroit. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, so there's seven minutes of Brad Gregg material out there that you guys can hear. Or, or three, yeah, three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again. Uh, enjoy your day and talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise Podcast. Please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise.